0: X-Talks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This life science-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to keep you up to date. X Talks is excited to introduce the inaugural issue of X Talks Clinical Edge, where innovation meets expertise. This digital magazine offers you exclusive conversations with some of the brightest minds and trendsetters of the clinical trials community, offering you a front row seat to the evolving landscape of clinical research. As you dive into the rich content of Xtalk's Clinical Edge magazine's first issue, you'll discover insights from pharmaceutical companies, patient advocacy groups, leading clinical research organizations, and an ensemble of key opinion leaders from organizations like the Clinical Trials Transformation Initiative and the Mayo Clinic. Follow the link in the show notes or visit clinicaledge.xtalks.com forward slash issue one to dive into the first issue of Talks Clinical Edge magazine and be a part of the conversation shaping the next era of Clinical Trials. That's clinicaledge.xtalks.com forward slash issue one.
1: Hello, and welcome to the X-Talks Life Science Podcast. I'm Aisha Rashid, Senior Life Science Journalist at xtalks.com, and this week I'm delighted to introduce two very special guests on the show. We have with us today executives and experts from Vaccines Global Clinical Development at Merck, Dr. Heather Platt, Distinguished Scientist and Pneumococcal Vaccine Lead, and Dr. Ulrike Buchwald, Scientific Associate Vice President, Global Clinical Research and Pneumococcal Vaccine Section Head. Dr. Heather Platt has worked across both infectious disease and vaccines products in both early and late stage clinical research. In her current role at Merck, she leads the product development team for V116, an investigational pneumococcal conjugate vaccine. Dr. Ulrike Buchwald applies her experience in public health and basic science research related to host pathogen interactions to expand Merck's pneumococcal vaccine franchise and the development of next generation adult and pediatric pneumococcal conjugate vaccines. Since 2017, she has focused on pneumococcal disease prevention in various roles. Merck recently announced results from STRIDE3, a phase 3 trial evaluating the immunogenicity, tolerability, and safety of V116, again the company's investigational 21-valent pneumococcal conjugate vaccine, which is specifically designed to protect adults. To learn more about V116 and pneumococcal infection, let's turn to our guests from Merck, who will discuss the data, the company's pneumococcal vaccine development program, and approach to addressing the specific needs of different populations, including infants and children, adults, and at risk subgroups. Dr. Platt and Dr. Buchwald, thank you so much for being on the show today.
2: Oh, thank you, Aisha. It's really a pleasure to be here, and um, I can't wait to dig into the conversation. Likewise.
1: Yeah, thank
3: you for having us on this important topic, Aisha.
1: Thank you. Thank you both for being here and for your time. So I just want to start off by asking um, a, more about pneumococcal infection and in terms of uh, the different forms, there are invasive and non-invasive forms, and also how they impact different populations, pediatric populations versus adult populations.
2: Well, Rikia, do you want to start by talking about PEDs? Because I think that's really where everything starts when we talk about pneumococcal disease.
3: Yeah, so let me start with uh, you know pneumococcal disease um, in the pediatric population has really been one of the main contributors to mortality and morbidity worldwide. Uh, so pneumococcus is a gram-positive bacterium that uh, you know we all carry in our nose, and especially children. You know they have. Um, you know very often you know one or more of the types of pneumococcus in their nose and they also can transmit it to other children and um, you know to adults in in the household and children oftentimes when they get sick from pneumococcus they can get either uh, for example, an acute otitis media, which is one of the most common infection obviously in childhood. And pneumococcus is the, one of the main contributors to pneumococcal disease. Um, but they can also fall ill with more severe forms, such as having the bacteria in the bloodstream, which we call can call bacteremia, or also in the lung, like a pneumonia. And the most severe oftentimes is, you know, and... Um, infection of the lining of the brain or the meninges, that's meningitis, um, that is really a dreaded infection and can cause either such as hearing loss, or, you know, has also a very high, you know, uh, mortality rate, meaning, you know, ending in death. And worldwide, the pneumococcus is one of the most important contributors to childhood death, um, you know, across uh, all countries, especially in children under five years of age. Uh, so again, the pneumococcus remains an important pathogen in children. It can cause, you know, um, more localized disease such acute otitis media, but then also proceed to invasive disease that can really be um, life-threatening. And then uh, children are the main uh, transmit, you know, the, the source of transmission in the community, including to adults, and then maybe Heather, you can explain how adults could fall ill from pneumococcus.
2: Yeah, no, and and I think it's so important to that we talk about kids as really being the source. Um, they're the large, they're the largest transmitters of pneumococcus, um, and you know, even you know, I guess globally. Um, We have parents, grandparents, lots of our adults that interact with kids and um, they're at risk for being on the receiving end of all of the gifts that these young children like to give us. Um, And adults don't as frequently get ear infections or otitis media, Um, but what's much more common is pneumonia. And strep pneumoniae is one of the most common causes of pneumonia. Now. Pneumonia can be um, can be well. I guess you can be treated as an outpatient and you know have a, a mild course, but it can also have um, a severe manifestation. You can wind up in the intensive care unit. You can have bacteremia associated with the pneumonia, leading to you know an inflammatory response and sepsis. Um, and as Ulrike mentioned, um, meningitis is really one of the most severe manifestations of strep pneumoniae um, with an associated high mortality. Um, so in addition to that, a little bit more rarely, but we also see um, joint infections, um, and we see other manifestations from strep pneumo. And so I think there really is a burden of disease in adults. And one thing that we have seen is that you know vaccination has really had an impact on the, the disease frequency in both kids and adults. So we know that there is a way to prevent the burden of disease. Um, and that means that we have work to do to make sure that our vaccines um, can be delivered to patients, um, that they're well tolerated, and that we can prevent as much disease as possible, um, bur- You know, lowering the burden on the healthcare system, which I think we're all acutely aware of, um, more so now than ever.
1: And so speaking about you touched on uh, this, uh, Dr. Platt, in terms of the burden of disease. And so what are the unmet needs um, in the area of pneumococcal infection Uh, for both pediatric populations and adult populations, which you mentioned, um, you know, sometimes are not at the forefront, uh, but um, very important as well. Yeah,
2: that's a, it's a great way to look at this, because what we see, um, because we have such a strong pediatric vaccination program, specifically in the U.S., but many countries have really strong vaccination programs for peds. And what we've seen is when pneumococcal vaccines were introduced for infants and for children, they had a substantial impact, really lowering the burden of disease. Um, And what we also saw is that those vaccines, vaccinating the kids had an impact in adults, but it was more modest. And there's now a burden of disease in adults that's actually higher, larger than there is in children. And that's really the unmet medical need. So in the US, we see this, this burden of disease. We know that there are severe manifestations including pneumonia and sepsis and meningitis that we just talked about. And, and that's really what we're looking to prevent. So um, I think it reflects how we approach vaccination and the different population approaches where what a strong vaccination program we have for peds. And now there's becoming more attention paid to what are the routine vaccines that can prevent disease in adults.
3: So maybe, Ayesha, let me, uh, you know, tell a little bit from the pediatric story. Mm -hmm. So as Dr. Platt explained, pneumococcal vaccines for children were introduced about, uh, you know, 23 years ago. And um, they're usually given with two or three doses in the first year of life and then one dose, you know, a booster dose when children are between 12 and 15 months of age. And they had a large impact. However, there is remaining disease due to some of the serotypes that are kind of recalcitrant despite the use of current vaccines. But then there's, there are also other serotypes that have become important after we started to use those vaccines. Um, and then also to point out that there are um, some children that are at particularly high risk. And those are, for example, Um, infants who are born prematurely then also infants in general in the first year of life before you know their immune, immune system is kind of strong enough to really also build you know very good antibody responses so here vaccination is very important in that first year of life in a good antibody response and then also children you know who have some what we say comorbidities for example if they have sickle cell disease, if they have other splenic you know disease, if they live with some kind of immunocompromising condition, or for example, also asthma. So for those children, we would even look at the need for vaccination, you know um, separately whether they need another vaccine once they are you know um, above the toddler age. And we think that, you know, for example, prevention of acute otitis media and so forth is still also very important to look at which serotypes, you know, are still causing disease and which um, vaccines can best address the need in, in those, even given, you know, the frequency of acute otitis media and the outpatient visits associated with this and also at- antibiotic use that is oftentimes contributing to antimicrobial resistance. So this I think is still, you know, um, we need to be also mindful of what, you know, the disease that remains out there in 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 children, um, and then kind of have a holistic approach, you know, across the life um, what different populations need, mainly, you know, children and then adults. Head yeah no I I'll jump in and say you know you bring
2: up a really important point it's really who's at greatest risk of disease and you know certainly we know children infants and children who really haven't had enough maturation of their immune system and vaccinating them is one of the the most cost effective ways to protect them Um, But as we look at the adult population, we know that the risk increases as you get older. But there are also subpopulations of adults that have an increased risk, as you mentioned, comorbidities. So in the adults, we see patients with diabetes, um, COPD, chronic liver, chronic lung, chronic kidney disease, and all of those have this relative increased risk of pneumococcal disease. and then you couple that with our aging population. And so this risk is really, it starts to feel um, what a formidable um, opponent. And so I think about that when we're developing and thinking about designing our, our studies, right? We have, we have a chance here to get the right patients in our studies so that we build confidence and we're generating data that is valuable and generalizable to patient populations that will be seen every day in the clinics. Um, So we're really sensitive to those patients with risk. Wonderful insights and wonderful
1: points indeed. And in terms of uh, vaccination as being Uh, a a very strong and powerful tool in helping prevent pneumococcal infection. So uh, where are we at with pneumococcal vaccination? And uh, I know that um, Merck has the uh, V116 investigational pneumococcal vaccine. Could you tell us a bit more about that in terms of, um, it's a 21 valent uh, vaccine, I believe, and how, um, how, how you choose the the different uh, serotypes, and um, can you go more into
2: describing the vaccine? Oh, absolutely. And first I'll say Merck has been in the pneumococcal vaccine game for quite a, a period of time, starting with Pneumovax 23. Um, right. right. It's been licensed since 1983, I believe it is. Um, so, it, um, And it has had an amazing impact. Um, there's There's definitely value to the conjugate vaccines. So um, Merck made investments in understanding and optimizing con- the conjugation process. So we have Vaxnivans, which was approved in 2021, and that is a 15-valent vaccine that expands protection compared to the other currently licensed vaccines, Prevnar 13. And what we're seeing is that that immunogenicity profile for Vaxnivance is is really strong. And Vaccine advance then represents a really strong way to vaccinate kids. But as we just talked about, there's this adult population that is pretty specific. And when we look at the epidemiology data and not just who is at risk, but we look at what serotypes of strep pneumo are causing disease. And over time, what we've seen is there is a shift in the circulating serotypes. So the serotypes causing disease in in adults are different in frequency and type compared to what's circulating in the pediatric population. So we looked at the data really since pediatric vaccines were introduced and there's a pretty clear pattern. So we used this data in part to select the serotypes that are most prevalent. And the estimates are that the serotypes in 116 are responsible for anywhere between 83 to 85% of disease. And this is based on the CDC's data. They have a really great surveillance network, the ABC data um, and their website, you can actually, anybody can go onto their website and look at the trend in serotypes um, for strep pneumo and other organisms. So that really led to picking the right serotypes for the right population. And that's our adult-specific approach, is B116. And we are in late stage, so we have phase three studies that have completed. And mainly where we're at is just being very excited now that we're able to share some of the data um, from our pivotal phase three study. So I just presented the results from our stride three study that looked at the Immunogenicity and safety and tolerability of V116 compared to Prevnar 20 in adults 18 years of age and older. And what we, the objectives and what we demonstrated, is that 116 is non-inferior to Prevnar 20 um, for the serotypes that are common. But 116 has serotypes that are unique that aren't in any licensed vaccine. And those serotypes account for about 30% of disease that is circulating in adults. And that represents an incremental advantage, an incremental benefit. So we looked at those specific serotypes, and we met superiority criteria um, involving statistical testing, looking at um, the geometric mean titers of Anyway, looking at the titers of the, of the immune responses. And 116 is superior to Prevnar 20 for 10 of 11 serotypes. So it gives us a whole lot of confidence moving forward that 116 is well tolerated and vaccination results in robust immune responses. So um, we're really excited about how these data are being received and we're also confident to move forward into the next the next stage and the next phase of bringing V116 to uh, to licensure. That's
1: really exciting. And um, in terms of V116, uh, uh, you did mention that um, using data from the CDC, um, you were able to hone in on the zero types that are uh, most um, that are responsible for causing most disease, and so, how often do the serotypes, or the as we you know with COVID, the nomenclature, the variants, uh, how often do they change for uh, pneumococcus? Is it uh, or in, like for influenza, how we have a yearly vaccine because of uh, changing
2: variants? Uh, what is it for pneumococcus? That's a that's a great question. Um, what we've seen over time is a pretty consistent pattern in the serotypes that are circulating. So when we look at data from the past 10 years in adults, we see that it's really consistent, that the serotypes in 116 are, have been responsible and currently are responsible for anywhere between 80 to 85 percent. So there we haven't observed a, a tremendous amount of variability. And the other thing that that supports that there's a consistent pattern and a consistent trend is when we look at other countries as well. So in countries that have a strong pediatric vaccination program, we see that trend where the serotypes that are in PCV7, PCV13, that frequency is very low. And when you look at the serotypes in V116, V1, the frequency is higher. Those serotypes are the ones circulating, causing disease. So I I don't think we can say that there's the same uh, shift or drift that we see in influenza. We actually see a pretty consistent pattern when it comes to strep pneumo. And that's not to say that there isn't a little bit of variation year to year. Um, and I think we see pockets you know of different serotypes that may pop up depending on your region so there's regional variability but it is a pretty consistent pattern that we've been observing and i think that gives us confidence that we have the right serotypes um, to to come out this problem.
3: Ulrike, what do you think? Do you Yeah, no, i fully agree and you know in general um, you know, as a bacterium, the pneumococcus is not as versatile as COVID, uh, you know, SARS-CoV-2 or influenza viruses are that can, you know, mutate for much faster. Um, so what we are talking about in the pneumococcal field is oftentimes serotype replacement. Um, you know, that can come um, based on, uh, for example, the introduction of vaccines. So when the first PCVs were introduced. Then we saw a rise of other serotypes that were not in the first vaccine, like Prevnar-7, that was in non-vaccine types. And that's you know, oftentimes summarized as serotype replacement. And that led then to the you know, expansion of the pediatric vaccines, such as PCV13, Prevnar-13. Um, and then we have addressed that with the 15 valent vaccine with navax nuvans, right? Um, so that is happening um, after the introduction of vaccines. Um, I would uh, add, though, in this context, because it also kind of, um, you know, explains the approach that we have taken with, um, uh, you know, with uh, with v uh and to mention, we are really um, a, uh, taking a novel approach, an innovative approach, as we think, um, because uh, we we going to, you know, uh, we keep Uh, All the serotypes that were initially causing disease, um, we keep them in the pediatric vaccines that we are using, for example, in VaxNuvans. And because, as we said initially, the children are oftentimes transmitting those, you know, pneumococci to the adults, so the children are protected from those, they don't bring them to adults, and with V116, then we can address you know, all these other stereotypes then came up in adults specifically because adults have, you know, um, comorbidities and, you know, they have uh, their age and their immune response is weaker. So, you know, that kind of shifting in the serotypes, we can address, you know, what we think will be, you know, very kind of efficient approach with this, you know, adult-focused V116 versus you know other you know vaccines that are used in, in pediatrics. So kind of the evolution of the bacterium in different populations, we take a very innovative approach and we think we can maximize the public health effects you know, in both populations by having uh, this kind of population specific approach.
1: That's very interesting because compared to other infectious diseases um, like COVID influenza, um, it seems that there is a clear distinction between the serotypes that affect different populations, pediatric versus adults. Whereas for COVID it's, we have a couple of variants they affect, maybe, maybe they don't. We don't we don't actually, we might not know how they, differ. Uh, they affect different populations and maybe there are different variants that affect Different populations differently, but that's very interesting for pneumococcus. That's that that distinction is is there. And um, in terms of the STRIDE three trial, um, talking about different demographics and populations, um, you looked at adult patients or adult participants. I'm sorry. Um, So, what were the age ranges, and was there a distinction between older adults, let's say over the age of 65, versus younger
2: adults? Yeah. Um, So. We operate globally and the stride through each study enrolled participants from, I think we had 17 countries. I I know we had 21 countries over the whole program, Um, but we really represented the participants um, for whom they would be eligible for vaccination. And that was really an important concept so that the patients in the study represent the region in which they're enrolled. And we wanted to make sure that we also, we're sensitive to the guidelines. And so we. 50% of the patients in the first adult cohort are 65 years of age and older. And that really speaks to the current guidelines. But we also know that there are patients that are younger who may be eligible for vaccination because they have a risk factor. And so we enrolled patients 50 years of age to 64 as well. And um, overall, in the study in that cohort, of adults 50 years of age and older, about a third of them have a chronic risk factor. So really making sure that we have the right patients in the study. Um, so in the the total study, right? 18 years of age and older, majority are 50 years of age and older. Um, and we really made sure we represented by race, by ethnicity, and by risk factor. Um, in the US, just looking at the patients from the US, um, we were also sensitive to enrolling participants that have been historically underrepresented in clinical studies, and one thing that we do understand and that we've been speaking to our clinical sites about, and reaching out to them on in a very you know one-on-one basis, um, but trying to make sure that we we speak to them and build trust to say, we really want to make sure that we have the right patients. What can we do to help you build relationships with your patients so that they do trust us to come into a clinical study? Because we ask a lot of our participants. We ask them to trust us. um, And and that's not a small ask. So how we operate and how we run our clinical studies really matters. Um, So I'm really proud that we had 18% Black or African-American patients in the STRIDE 3 study. So I hope that that is well-received and that This really does represent the patients that will be coming into clinicians' offices and that they will um, be evaluated for being eligible for a vaccine because we know that there's disproportionate impact when we look at who gets sick with pneumococcal disease. We see that. Um, So making sure that we have the right patients, that they trust, that we've been very transparent in our process and that our results have been relayed in a way that's understandable. So I think all of those components matter when we talk about um, the feasibility, the operationalization of our clinical studies, um, and and building that trust so that when we relay our data, they can understand it and feel much better about making a decision to vaccinate.
1: And that's an important point for sure in terms of... um... Vaccine coverage outreach, and getting to the right patients. And as physicians in, in the field, um, what do you see as some of the barriers um, to specifically pneumococcal vaccination? because you don't hear a whole lot about it. Uh, vaccination in children is still just a couple of decades old, but um, and in, in adults it's it's fairly new. So what what do you think are some of the barriers and things to
2: overcome uh, in in the area? Yeah. Well, Ricky, I'm going to take a first stab at this, and then I'm sure I know you have some things to add to this as well. Um, I think one of the first things is that um, it's really, um, we're adding to the concept of adult vaccinations becoming more routine. There are certain vaccines, like you mentioned, getting your flu vaccine every year, um, but the adult routine vaccinations um, are not as commonplace as they could be right? And I think that's one barrier to overcome. Um, I think making the vaccine recommendations easier to understand. Right now, a lot of the vaccine recommendations depend on assessing risk in a patient. Do you have this risk factor or that risk factor? And that can be sometimes challenging to understand. And So trying to simplify the recommendations. And one way to do that is to simplify by just using an age-based system. Um, And we know that that is likely to increase equity. When you remove the barrier of assessing risk and just making it age-based, you take away that additional step of evaluating someone's eligibility. So that's, I think, an important component when we talk about adult vaccination.
3: Ulrike, what do you think? I know you have more to add to that. Uh, yeah Yeah. i fully agree i do think you know sometimes that um, pneumococcus it's sometimes not easy to explain um you know especially also to adults um right um because it's kind of summarized under pneumonia and then oftentimes people think oh i got my pneumonia shot and that's the influenza shot um but you know they don't link this to this bacterial disease you know, that sometimes goes along with influenza. We know that, you know, pneumococcus can cause uh, severe pneumonia after somebody has an, a flu, an influenza infection. But the concept is a little bit, you know, not as commonplace, I would say, as the flu, right? And everything that we oftentimes summarize under the flu. So from that perspective, I think that, um, you know, um, people may not... Have the same level of awareness, um, and then it's very important that their healthcare providers, you know, their physicians, um, maybe a trusted pharmacist, talk to them about you know that um, disease and the risk that the disease poses, as well as you know the preventative option that we have with our you know vaccines. So I think that's that's one point. As Heather pointed out, you know this. The concept of risk and who is at risk I mean we know certain risk factors but there may also be others you know that that are not as well described and that are kind of very common in the population so oftentimes it's really easier if you have a you know kind of the age-based recommendation so that um, you know also physicians and pharmacies and all of these interactions with the healthcare system they are just reminders, right, that somebody is due for this preventative intervention. Um, I think with children, as we um, as we discussed, um, you know, in general, that these um, the pediatric vaccinations are more kind of. I would say baked into the normal schedule, right, with well child visits and so forth. But it's also important to see where there may be gaps, right, and that we continue to address them. Sometimes children wouldn't get the last dose. Um, the, in the US, you know, the toddler dose is the fourth dose. So people may not come back because they are not aware, um, you know, how important it is for long term protection. Um, and as Heather already alluded to, especially in the United States, sometimes uh, you know we we see pockets of, you know, uh, populations or regions, you know, where for some reason or the other, there is a lesser uptake of the vaccine. And it's very important that we understand the specific reasons. you know, is it the lack of trust in vaccination? Is it access? Um, you know, what is it in particular, and then can work? Uh, together to address, you know, those barriers to vaccinations. Um, I think that, you know, especially important in a country that is as large as diverse as the United States to understand that very thoroughly. And we are also actively engaged, you know, with kind of understanding better, uh, you know, which kind of contributions you um, know, different factors may have to a poor vaccine uptake and then also work with Healthcare providers and you know uh, community um, educators and so forth to to address
2: those. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I think talking about access is such an important component here. So I'm I agree with everything that you mentioned. It it can be complicated, but I think there's ways that we can work to make it a little bit easier to implement adult routine adult vaccination.
1: And uh, from both, uh, you know, a healthcare perspective and a drug development perspective, because I know Merck has a very strong vaccine development program. How has the vaccine, uh, you know, landscape changed since COVID? I know it's a very common question, and a lot, you know, it's a very heavy question. But
3: um... this time, I, I, I'll start, Heather, you can finish them <laughs> with Vivamantix. So let's let's put this way. I think. The landscape has changed. I think we are all very grateful for you know those vaccines that were developed during the pandemic in a kind of record speed in order to help us you know um, prevent you know an illness and death and also you know get us out of um, that specific uh, isolation phase of our lives. And um, it has changed also in terms of. The manufacturers that are out there manufacturing vaccine, it has changed the platforms that we are using, uh, such as obviously the MRNA platform that is, you know, recognized by everybody right now. But we also have to understand where there are specifics and where there are limitations. And I have to say, you know, for pneumococcal disease. um, The vaccine manufacturing and development is an utmost complex process and requires really a lot of expertise. So these vaccines, the pneumococcal conjugate vaccines, especially, you know, as they have increased in the number of serotypes that they incorporate, are some of the most complex vaccines that, for example, Merck has ever manufactured, and that means something. Um, And, you know, they, they are, you know, maybe not, you know, as kind of the new kid on the block as other vaccine platforms may appear but you cannot address each disease with the same vaccine man- platform right and the man- vaccine manufacturing approach so that's why it's very important also that we remember the the expertise and also what heather actually had mentioned before the learnings over time that you know for example we have starting this numovax actually, the Numovax that was 14-valent in 1977, and then in 1983, Numovax 23, right? And carrying over a lot of experience, um, you know, in that field with us and incorporating that on a regular basis in our development. I think that's very important. And, you know, while the landscape has changed, certain things will not kind of completely change overnight, right, we need to, uh, we need to, Look at each vaccine and each disease individually um, and see what are the best approaches to develop the best vaccines you know for 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 that disease and the disease prevention obviously Heather
2: yeah, no, I don't have much to add to that I think um a lot of different components and vaccine manufacturing is incredibly complex so I agree the learning and we learn not just from our own company, we learn from each other. And, and I think that's, I don't wanna underestimate how much that is actually shared in the scientific community that really pushes us to improve, to modify, to optimize. Um, we all want the same thing. We all wanna have a positive impact on public health.
1: Indeed. And so um, in addition to pneumococcus, um, I think, just to end off, uh, what other sort of uh, vaccines are in Merck's pipeline? And also what what's the future f- uh, for v one one six in terms of what can we expect in the coming months and the year uh, in terms of regulatory uh, pathways as well? very important to to get those approvals. And so what can we expect from v one one six and uh, just in general from Merck's vaccine pipeline?
2: Yeah, so I'll start with this one and say, for 116, we are incredibly excited about sharing more of our phase three data. And that'll be shared at a conference in the near future. Um, We just shared our phase three pivotal study data, and we have data from three other studies that will be at ISPPD in March. So that's an exciting exciting milestone to look forward to. Um, We're looking forward to engaging with our regulatory agencies globally, and also with all of the technical advisory groups, um, like the CDC and ASIP, to make sure that we are being very clear about the results um, and being able to answer questions so they feel confident about hopefully making a really strong recommendation for V116 in the adult population.
3: Yeah, and maybe I address some of the pipeline. So obviously, you know, there there are some, some programs that are public and, you know, well-known. I want to say that, you know, we are, we are focusing, for example, on dengue and RSV in certain populations at this time. Um, but overall, I think, as you already mentioned, right, Merck has a legacy in vaccines that we take very seriously and that we, you know, continue to develop the vaccines against diseases that have an unmet need, right? Where we see we can make a big public health impact um, with what we always aim for—best-in-class vaccines, right? So that's our general, um, uh, you know, vision um, for 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 our work, and you know, that's what gets us up and get to work every day. Um, yeah, so you know, we always you know, look at where we can address uh, the most disease burden, Um, you know, pneumococcal disease prevention, and then obviously also, you know, for example, HPV disease prevention are somehow the core of our, you know, um, vaccine um, organization. And then in addition to, obviously, we have a very strong pediatric uh, focus with combination vaccines and so forth. So, um, yeah, it remains a very exciting time in vaccines. Um, there are enough diseases that we still need to prevent, um, and you know we hope we can contribute you know to the, the the betterment of public health and you know really uh, so that people live healthier lives um, for longer, and you know that um, we support you know families just living happy and healthy lives. Dr. Buchwald, Dr. Platt, thank you so much
1: for your time and for the important and amazing work that you do in the field. Um, you know, we need people like you in the field, and uh, it's such a pleasure to be able to to learn and gain insights from um, professionals like yourselves firsthand. So I thank you so much for your time.
3: Thank you very much for having us, Aisha. That's a pleasure. Thank you. Aisha, thanks for
2: having us. It's been Just wonderful speaking with you today. Likewise, it was such
1: an insightful discussion and such an important one at that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
3: Yeah. And thank you for making, you know, that information available to people and to your audience so that they, you know, um, can understand the importance of pneumococcal disease and pneumococcal disease prevention.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's the end of this episode of the X-Talks Life Science Podcast. If you like today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you, everyone, and see you all next week. Bye for now.
0: Thanks for listening to the X-Talks Life Science Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues, and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find Xtalks on social media. Email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more.